Hello. You're on with Nick and Fiona. Millennials are ruining Buffalo Wild Wings. Hi, and welcome to The Playlist. I'm Fiona Williams, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Bassine. Hey, Nick. Happy New Year. Well, Happy New Year to you, too. It's so exciting to be back in The Playlist saddle. We've got such an amazing show. We are talking about the GAN. It's a show that people can't stop talking about. It's very divisive, divisive, depending where you're from. Are we talking pronunciation? GAN, GAN? I think it's GAN. It is GAN. I think we just, but some people call it the GAN. And they're wrong. They are wrong. Yeah. We are also going to be talking about Search Party Season 2 because we've got a couple of interviews with A Call of the Stars. And we're talking about awards season for movies is in full swing now. The Golden Glow's behind us. Oscars are imminent. So we've seen some of these movies. We're going to start talking about them. Get people all um, lathered up. Yeah? Excited? Frothing? Okay. Um, loop? Loop? No. But first, the GAN. You've seen it. I have seen it. What did you think? I I was going to say I was on board, but I did not mean that as a pun. But anyway. Oh, my God. Were you I on know. board with it? I was from the did start. Did you choo-choo-choose it? <laughs> <laughs> That's oh. a Simpsons joke. I know. Uh, but anyway, yes, if, if it hasn't come your way, I don't know why not. But we've broadcast the original three-hour version of the GAN going up towards Darwin from Adelaide, which swept the nation, and then SBS Viceland, by popular demand, screened the much longer version of that same train trip. 17 hours. 17 hours. That Amazing. is a lot of time. It is a lot of time, and it generates a lot of tweets and a lot yes. of audience feedback. So, A lot of people absolutely hate it and can't figure out why <laughs> they're enough, watching yeah. this. But they're still watching and they're tweeting. But they're still watching it. It's very strange. And then people obviously love it and think it's amazing and beautiful and poetic and they love being a part of it. It's and, different. But it's just very unique. It is very unique. It's unique even. <laughs> There's not degrees of being unique. It's different. And it, I think it threw people for a loop. The idea of it sounds horrendously boring to some people, but it is quite mesmerising, I think. What's so interesting is the weird kind of outrage where some people have watched just watched three hours of a train moving, mm. and then they're upset about it. Like yeah. it's like you, well, what did you think you were signing up for? <laughs> and maybe after ten minutes. Yeah, I do love some sections of the tabloid media who pretty much fed the the hate watching of this, and yeah, just finding reasons to to hate on SBS again. It was funny. I, I got a kick out of it. Whether you are suspicious of the format, I think it's worth, it's definitely worth checking out. It's really interesting. So if you want to get on board with the GAN, you can catch it at SBS On Demand at your leisure. Your extreme leisure. Take your time. <laughs> oh, wait, no. Hurry up. No, I mean, hurry to go watch it yeah. and then sit back and watch it. What ifs? Okay. All right, all right. Keeping in the slow TV theme. <laughs> I'm nope. just kidding. To speed uh, things up a little. Search Party, which we've talked about on the show before, uh, after season one came out and when season two started. And I think it was in our list of favorites of last year. Yes. Yeah, definitely in the best and worst. Best. In the best. On the best side. I uh, haven't enjoyed a show like this in a really long time. Mm. I, I think it's very funny, very smart. It's very different. We're going to be the only people we know who have gone through something like this. Yeah, but it's like kind of bonding in a sense, right? Like we're all bonding. Yeah, not really. What happened here was a terrible accident and I don't think we should let it ruin the rest of our lives. Go, 
how can this pile be so big and this hole can be so small? Let's go. Season two, I think, starts off a little slow even though there's an intensity to it. And then it really ramps up halfway through and some crazy stuff starts happening. It's very entertaining, very funny. I was lucky enough to interview John Reynolds, who plays Drew, and Meredith Hagner, who plays Portia. Um, at the time, I'd only seen a couple of episodes, which I still loved, but now I've seen I've seen the whole thing. Mm. Have you- um, I'm midway in, yeah. in the second series, so I don't think things have ramped up in the way that you're mentioning. Yes. I'm, I'm loving what I'm saying. Yeah, but- I don't know what you're talking about. So. <laughs> I mean, the stuff that I liked about the first season is heightened, I think, after that midpoint. I think John Early takes things to new heights. There's a certain mania that he's got that is just so funny. And Meredith Hagner is even wackier. And her mm. with her, it's all about her facial expressions. She has a way of conveying trauma in a very <laughs> funny way with just slight tweaks. Yeah. It's I, I know what you, I have seen some of that. Yes, I think it's even in the first episode of the, um, yes. the new series. <laughs> a single look is hilarious. And she and John Early are what's so fantastic about this show, just as a, you can't really talk about one without the other because together they're just such a great set. And it's easy to dismiss them as sort of, you know, infuriating, shallow, privileged millennials. And that's exactly what they are. But there's an awareness to it. And it's hilarious. And even with her character, Portia, you know, she plays a, an actress. And there's occasional moments of just these left of centre gems that she comes out with. And even in her attempts to get acting roles, she talks openly about being whitewashed, playing a Latina detective in, um, in a terrible TV show. So it's just... Yeah. <laughs> Coming out of her mouth, it's hilarious. Yeah. Mm. So I guess I'm tempted to put Portia as a character in a kind of evolution from um, Clueless. Mm. Alicia Silverstone. And then um, Reese Witherspoon and Legally Blonde, mm. where it's, I guess, don't underestimate the seemingly ditzy blonde character. Mm-hmm. But I think this is deeper and funnier than both of them, I think, even though maybe it's inspired by those a little bit. Yeah, I I think you have to have gone through them to get to this one. Um, I think she does owe a lot to certainly Alicia Silverstone as well. Um, Yeah, both both probably. Um, But, yeah, this one, and being a series as well, you get more time to really flesh her out as a character. But um, but sure, no, I see that. Well, it was great to talk to Meredith, who plays Porsche, and John. Let's hear it now. Hey, Nick, I'm Meredith. Nice to meet you, Meredith. Hi, Nick, how are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing good. First of all, uh, I love the show. Uh, I think it's one of the funniest shows uh, I've seen in a long time. Super dark oh, yeah. um, and super weird, and I'm, I'm really into it. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. That really means a lot. Thank you for saying that. That's nice to hear. One of my favorite moments is at the end of the second episode. Your facial expression, it goes <laughs> on a journey. Um <laughs> From, oh, are you talking about from the new season? Yes. From the, yeah, we're talking about the new season. Oh. It starts at deep despair, and then it seems to just kind of force its way into happiness. <laughs> and it's so funny. And it's kind of emblematic about what I love about the show. In that mm-hmm. moment, is that in the script? Or are you just doing that? No, I just, um, I'm so glad you like it. Thank you for saying that. I mean, that was like a crazy shot because I think we were running late that day. I might have the story wrong. 
but that day, or it was raining or it was something, and we weren't able to do each individual coverage. And so, I don't know, maybe they had the bigger grand idea to do that whole scene in one shot, but when they told us we were doing that, I was like, how awesome that a whole scene ended up playing in just one cool shot. And I had just done a lot of thinking about, you know, she ends up rationalizing what they've done. She goes from, like, depression to, to rationalizing, and we're going to be fine. And I just thought a lot about how disturbing that would be, and that was sort of just the reactions. Those were the reactions that kind of came up. But it's nice when they can't really edit. They let those little moments totally just sit. So it was. I, I'm, I loved that scene, too. I thought it was really cool watching everyone's faces at the end. Yeah. What do you think makes, I mean, I, I think I know why I like it, but what do you think, can you explain why it's so funny? It's kind of a mystery to a lot of people when you read reviews and some people can't quite figure out why it's so funny and how it works so well because it's so, there's so many genres involved. And what do you think is the, is the key to getting the show and, and thinking it's funny? Uh, I think the show has just strong sense of humor. It's like very much SV and Charles humor. It's like, a very harsh satire about, I, I guess you'd say, millennial culture and the worst sides of it. So I think there's, like, a lot of ugly truth in it, which is very fun to see if you can, like, see that in yourself. And then I think it's successful on the other side because the show is, like, a pretty classic story that's mapped over this harsh satire. So I think it's, like, a you know, it's an easily accessible mystery story and there's a lot of suspense and thriller that just sort of laid over this sort of millennial satire. So I think that there's like a lot of things that people recognize. Uh, they're just coming from different places. It's like a healthy balance between the humor and the drama. And by us taking some scenes serious emotionally, we're allowed to get away with some of the funnier stuff, specifically generally storyline or Porsche storyline. You know? So I think there's a nice little balance that they've created. And in season two, I feel like they really pinned down these characters and really made a statement with their comedic voice, which was apparent in the scripts, and it was so cool to see it come to life. It's such an amalgamation of different things. First of all, it's like you're not anywhere without the writing, the scripts, the yeah. story, the social commentary. I mean, that's it. You know, that for us is like, you can be the funniest person in the world and you're working on a bad script and it's like it's like a doorknob, you know, there's nothing going. So I think starting with the writers and then I think we all share a comedic sensibility. I think of like the comedy, for me at least in the show, I feel like it's sprinkled on the top and at the root of it all, it's just so human and funny because it's true in a way. So it's part of that satire, it's that, it toes that fine line. And I think it's funny because people see themselves in these experiences and it's just exaggerated enough to feel comfortable and, and, it, and it still is funny. But uh, I'm curious what your impression is as to why it's funny. Well, I think it's funny because characters that are um, really self-absorbed, but not obnoxious necessarily. Like when John Early is really dismissive or judgmental, there's a truth to it. Like it's right. not that I would ever be that way, but I, it yeah. makes a kind of sense. I mean, and obviously I would, yeah. the, the lengths to which some of the characters go to um, prop themselves up or lie is, is yeah. way over the top. But there's a, yeah. there's just a, yeah, like you were saying, I guess there's just a truth to it and it really hits. It's so dark. And I, I that's my favorite so kind dark. of thing. I know, me too. I'm obsessed with it. And I'm like, that's all I ever want to watch. But we just live in such a presentational time. And so not even just with so many aspects of just being a human in this moment. It's like 
everybody's so presentational about everything. Yeah. So I think they're presentational about other people's grief. They're presentational about their own experiences. And so we all see ourselves in that. Like there's things Elliot talks about where I'm like cringe because I'm like, oh my God, like I feel like, have I ever done that? Yeah, and yeah. It's obviously over the top, but I agree with you. I mean, it's just, it's so cool to work on a show that I would actually be a fan of if I wasn't on. <laughs> obviously everybody's great, but you and John Early seem to be able to make huge comic moments out of just really, really short lines or just quick reactions. Uh, or just facial expressions. It's very, it's fantastic. Thank you. How do you get to the bottom of this character? Is there something that you keep in mind constantly? Like, what's the key? Well, I do a lot of. Oh, I love these questions. I get to like talk about the, the uh, talk about your craft. craft of it. No, I know I can believe I just said that. I'm obviously joking. <laughs> no, I uh, I love this character, and the, the the change in tone has really lent itself to like going to these places, even in my work like in terms of I do a lot of like script I'm such a nerd I do a lot of like script work before I get to set everyone's really different like some people I mean John Early is like a magician and he's one of the most talented people I've ever seen or met in my life and I feel the same way about John and other John and Ali I just think they're they all have these incredible superpowers as performers but for me I do just a ton of like reading the script over and over and um and just kind of like thinking about what where she is and what's going on and so I do a lot of like breaking it down and and I'm a ham so I know how to like sprinkle some milk of wine if I if I feel like I want to what do you think about the way millennial culture seems to be taken apart and, and overanalyzed and obsessed over um I think it's kind of lame yeah I feel like the term millennial has become sort of this trite thing I see articles online they're like millennials are ruining buffalo wild wings or Millennials have ruined Halloween, you know, shit like that, where it's like, what? You know, it's just become this buzzword that older generations are trying to pin us for. You know, it's like, the country's shit because the young people, you know, they, they can't get out of their phones. But it's like, my mom uses Instagram way more than me. Like, I'm talking to my mom, she's on Instagram looking at dogs. So I think it's just like a natural thing, right? I feel like there hasn't been a younger generation that isn't picked on by their parents' generation. Because, especially in our country, like, things are so partisan right now and that there are sides. I feel like millennials get a bad rap and they're sort of synonymous with uglier, I don't know, leftist culture, I guess. It's so easy to just make these, like, mass generalizations of, like, yeah. what people are. You know, it's so easy and we live in a time where, like, a lot of the art surrounding that and a lot of the TV shows surrounding that, I think, are just kind of, like, regurgitating the same stereotypes. So... I just also think what's cool about our show is that, like, on a level, we take that millennial experience and, like, flip it on its back. Like, it's one thing in season one, and then it just becomes a completely different thing. But aren't, aren't millennials just people in their 20s now? Isn't that what it, yeah. all it means? I mean, how we make it so much more complicated, I guess, because of the yeah, presentation. And, everything. And, that's, and, like, that's how people feel comfortable, like, shitting on other people in a weird way. And, like, I totally get it. There's so much about, like, millennial culture. And I live in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and L.A., and it's just, like, there's so much to laugh at. But I go anywhere with different generations of people, and I find there to be so much humor. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
and you can find bad people everywhere you go. Yeah, but of course. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just also clearly trying to defend being a millennial. Yeah, right. Well, like I said, the show is incredible. Best of luck with the second season. Best of luck with your the other hey. stuff you're doing. We didn't get to talk about. Thanks um, for your enthusiasm. What a fun interview. Thank you so much. No, I wish we could have talked for longer. Yeah, it's been really great <laughs> talking to you and meeting you. You too, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the season. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it, man. Digging it. Bye. Later. Nicely done, and you can watch both series, in fact, of Search Party at SBS On Demand now. Fiona, I don't know if you've noticed, but award season is well and truly upon us. (laughs) (laughs) I've noticed. Uh, uh, when a- is award season not upon us? Because any time a movie screens, it's calculated in terms of its Oscar chances. Right. So, not to brag, but I've been to the Cannes Film Festival oh, in the past. Oh, well, I know. Well, someone's been to Cannes. <laughs> and you walk out of a screening and they're talking a film's Oscar chances already, and that's in May. So, anyway, that by the by. But, well, yes, I, it is. Now we're getting in the pointy end. I know it's award season because I've got a spring in my step. The air smells a little bit sweeter. And um, You are looking far more jaunty. Yeah. And I just love watching people get prizes. So um, I'm super excited about it. There's a cloud the, hanging over Hollywood as well, oh, which yeah, is making yeah. this one a little bit more interesting than past awards yeah, seasons. Yeah, this award season is different from others. Well, in that people are more aware of what's been going on in Hollywood in previous award seasons that we weren't necessarily privy to. So... Post Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, and with the Me Too movement gathering more and more names every day, yeah, this is a remarkably different award season. And we're recording this just off the back of the Golden Globes. So you've been watching, you've gone to see some of the movies that are likely to be in Oscar contention, some of the ones that have were nominated for Golden Globes. Yeah, exactly. Some of the ones that have been nominees. A lot have come out and are coming out in the next few weeks. A lot of these movies were in our Best Of episode and we'll have a more complete conversation about Oscars after the nominations come out. Mm. We've both been seeing some movies that are likely to be Sure, in this recent crop of releases, yeah. yeah. Um, So we've had The Post just out now, Steven Spielberg's story of the Pentagon Papers and Catherine Graham and Ben Bradley of The Washington Post. Yeah, what did you think of that? I loved it. I really did. I mean, it's right in my lane of I love a good political pot boiler and, and a journalism movie and like all the president's men I love. So this is sort of a prequel to that really with the Washington Post a couple of years prior to the, the Watergate break-in. The Times says 7,000 pages detailing how the White House has been lying about the Vietnam War for 30 years. The way they lied, those days have to be over. You're talking about exposing years of government secrets. Is that legal? What is it you think we do here for a living, kid? Ben. I might have something. It must be precious cargo. It's just government secrets. I loved it. It's the story of Catherine Graham as publisher of The Post. And coincidentally, I'm reading her autobiography at the moment, which is fascinating. Just her life is fascinating. And it's sort of the story of her as the publisher of The Post, but having inherited that by default, really, when her husband committed suicide and dealing with a board who don't give her any credit whatsoever and think that she really uninherited by default. So her finding her own voice and finding a reason to to be committed to the post other than it's been in her family and it was her father's passion. So she's she's there. She really comes into her own by, through this 
the Pentagon Papers scandal. I found it to be incredibly entertaining. Mm. I was just so impressed with how Spielberg rings so much drama out of answering just one simple question that we already know the answer to. Yeah. Will they publish? <laughs> and I guess it, it's a testament to the actors, the characters, how much we care about them, how invested we are in them. It moves along really quickly and it's fun. And also I ended up learning a lot because I mm. didn't know a lot of that stuff about the Pentagon Papers and makes me want to see all the president's men again. Yeah. It makes me want to see the Fog of War, the Robert McNamara, Errol yeah. Morris documentary again. Like I didn't know that 70% of the America's impetus for staying in Vietnam was just to save face. Mm. That's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's good companion viewing to the Ken Burns documentary, The Vietnam War on oh, SBS yeah, as which well. I so it's also happen to be watching that. Yeah. So it's super sad. Yeah. Yeah. But it all lends into that as well. Yeah. Fascinating. And like I agree. We know how it turned out. It's a historical drama. We know they published the Pentagon Papers, yeah. <laughs> which is why they're making the movie. But there is drama within those scenes, even though you know the general arc of the movie. It's fascinating to see what will happen, the drama between the characters, the camera angles. It, like it's it's a Spielberg movie. He knows how to move the camera and work with actors and he he's working with Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks, so, you know, yeah. they're good. <laughs> yeah, they were both so good. I just liked them so much. They were funny and touching and... And see here, <laughs> I, you know, it is a contender in award season because of course it is, but there is also, I've noticed even in conversations with friends and colleagues and whatnot, there's a bit of Spielberg fatigue or a bit of cynicism. It's like, ugh, yeah, yeah it's just going to be a Spielberg movie, you know. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm not a Spielberg apologist, but I do enjoy his films. He, Like I say, he's been um, a leading figure in American cinema for four decades now. Yeah. And for a reason. <laughs> he's had some duds. Well, he's coming off of a couple of things that I, well, the BFG, which I Oof. which I did not like. It was not I did good. did not care for. It was not good. It was not good. Um, and Bridge of Spies, which I thought was a little flat. I liked Bridge of Spies. Tom mm. Hanks was, was all right and Mark, Mark Rylance good yeah. in it. Mm. But this, I don't think it's as good or as heavy as something like Saving Private Ryan or Schindler's List, obviously, but... Mm. It's not as um, lame as um, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the... Crystal Skull. Crystal Skull. No, or, it's not. Or um, The Lost World or... Um, did you like The Terminal? See, I didn't see The Terminal. Mm. Mm. Uh, but I'm not rowing that boat alone, I don't think. So I, I feel like it's in that maybe Munich, catch me if you can, middle okay. area. Really, sure. really entertaining, really good. I really enjoyed it when I, when I was watching it. It's lingered with me since. And, of course, it's a story about newspapers and collaboration between and competition between the Washington Post and the Times. And so, of course, there's relevance to now. And, oh, yeah, of course. Uh, there's Nixon sort of figures. He hates the Washington Post with a passion, yep. bans the Washington Post from... Attending any um, anything, <laughs> any press events. Press conferences yeah. and, yeah. And his daughter's wedding. So obviously there are parallels there and they're not coincidental. But, also, yeah, it's it's fascinating to watch in that way as well. So there's a lot lot going on in here that, yeah, I really respond to. Yeah. And a story of women in the workplace. And there's a great scene where Catherine Graham is descending from a public building and there's a big crowd gathered and there's just he spends quite a lot of time seeing the women who are watching her walk down the stairs and all different types of women, um, one who looks 
very much like young Hillary Clinton. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just think that's a, you know, that's a little nod to when the successful women people notice and women notice, young women notice. So, yeah, it's great. So, yeah, that's sure to be nominated for a few things. Mm. It didn't win any Golden Globes. No, it had a joke at the start where it would have was great going to win joke. all of them. I it was, it was a really good joke. good joke. Yeah. So the post is in cinemas now. One that's not far off is Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water, which won Best Director at the Golden Globes. Yep. Thumbs up. I saw it. Yeah, it's good. It's very you good. You saw it? That's your, is that your rating? <laughs> I no, saw it. it. It's very good. With friend of the show, Richard Jenkins. Oh, yes. yes. The delightful Richard Jenkins. Hilarious Richard Jenkins. If you get a chance, please listen to his interview on the playlist. It's very good. One for the ages. Uh, but with star Sally Hawkins as well, um, who's playing a cleaner at a mysterious marine facility who ends up having quite a strange attraction to something that is brought in in the dead of night and is being experimented on. Turns out it's a kind of a fish man. Right. Looks remarkably similar to the creature from the Black Lagoon. I think it is. So this film, Guillermo del Toro, of course, is a huge film lover. He thanked the monsters that have inspired him in his Golden Globe speech. So this is a real love letter to movies. She lives above a cinema. There's a lot of movie references. Um, it's beautiful and sumptuous to look at and quite a bit raunchy too. Right. Mm. Yeah, really good. I wasn't blown away by it, but absolutely worthy of – I don't mind the director – nod because, it, yeah, it's very well directed. Curiously similar to Splash as right. a storyline. So it was, it's hard not to <laughs> to think this is an artfully crafted remake Who was the John Candy? Well, there's a couple of John Candies. It would be Richard Jenkins and also Octavia Spencer, who is her oh, colleague yeah. at the at the plant. And they're, they're very funny, yeah. Did you see Guillermo del Toro's tweet about how he thought that The Shape of Water was a great movie? <laughs> What? It's very funny. He just had a tweet of saying how, how wonderful his own movie is. <laughs> it was pretty good. Um, you've also seen Phantom Thread. Oh. And I'm jealous. I'm looking forward to seeing that. I'm looking forward to seeing Shape of Water as well. Yes. Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread with the soon-to-be-retired, well, I guess he's retired now, Daniel Day-Lewis. It's his last film, he says. Love it. Love it. Absolutely love this story. He plays a couture designer in the 50s um, and it's the story of the women in his life really and um, one is his sister who is a very stern woman played by Leslie Manville who was fantastic and she'll get nominated for things and early in the film you see him dispense with his latest lady and then he's captured by another woman who then comes into his life, Alma. Yeah, it's meticulous and beautiful and just the story, it's toxic. <laughs> the, he's, he's a very demanding figure. But it, it's, if you've seen the trailer, you know what to expect. And if you've seen There Will Be Blood and the way they've worked together in the past, um, yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. I, it's not as long as I expected. Um, and as soon as it finished, I thought, well, I would quite like to go and watch that again. Um, I have seen Three Billboards Outside Epping, Missouri, which is written and directed by Martin McDonough, who's done movies like In Bruges. He's also a playwright. And I think it stinks. I know you have very strong opinions about this. I'm yet to see it, unfortunately. But So people are saying it's a, it's a front runner for Oscars because... Um, it won so many Golden Globes. Yes. And I loved all the performers, Woody Harrelson, Francis McDormand, Sam Rockwell. I think they're all great. Uh, I wish them very well with uh, their awards hunting. Um, but I, I think that there was maybe one real moment in this movie. And there was maybe one 
There's one very funny moment with Sam Rockwell is hilarious. But as a whole, I, I just didn't believe any of it. I didn't believe what it was trying to make us feel at the end. Abby Cornish is doing some kind of uh, mashup Australian, British, Filipino accent. It's very mm. confusing. I don't think McDonough knows or cares about any of these people. And I can I can kind of hear people saying, well, this is this is how people are. This is, they're all very odious. You know, they're all mean and say horrible things to each other, throw the N-word around a lot. And uh, you can hear people saying, oh, well, this is, this is Trump's America. This is mm. reality. But there is a minimal amount of small town authenticity. I mean, I'm not from these small towns, but it just didn't feel real. And all of the racial epithets being thrown around felt really forced and pointless, kind of in a Tarantino kind of way. Mm. Like he just wanted people to say it just to make people uncomfortable. That's, mm. a, that's a black comedy to him. Mm. And then adding in a couple of peripheral, extremely peripheral uh, black characters just made it feel all, feel even worse. And, um, and yeah, rant over. Okay. <laughs> I uh, wasn't into it. Noted. <laughs> all right. What is also out at the moment? Uh, I've seen The Darkest Hour. Right. One of the 300 Churchill performances of the year. Correct. And of all of the Churchill performances of the year slash Dunkirk movies, of which I think there were four last year, including friend of the show Brian Cox in Churchill. John Lithgow in The Crown. Oh, of course. Um, friend of the show... Bill Nye did not play Churchill, but was in a Dunkirk movie. Oh, that's right. So, yeah, there were a lot of Dunkirk movies slash Churchill movies last year with the anniversary year and whatnot. I think The Darkest Hour is the best of them. Better than Dunkirk? Yeah, I, I wasn't on board with Dunkirk, as yeah, you know. Yeah, me neither. But certainly not where it tried to become an intimate drama about family and loss and whatnot. No, I think the bigger, the bigger stuff worked with that. But The Darkest Hour, Gary Oldman is winning all of the awards for his portrayal of Churchill. I love Gary Oldman. Nothing not to like. He's very good. He's great. And I think it's a triumph of makeup and prosthetics as well to get him looking like that. And, you know, there is a kind of a Churchill movie where it's smoky rooms and cigars and big robust speeches. And of course, this is very much that. It has a bit more of a life to it as well than I was expecting. So it's very good. Very good. Not not my pick of the year, but um, but it's good. Would you describe his performance as blustery? Very much. I think that's probably in the requirements of if you're going to play Churchill. Do you think it's inspired at all by my impression? <laughs> he probably heard. Okay. That's a while back. So, yeah, probably would have been just prior to shooting. Yeah. Fun fact, this film is the only film that we know the current occupant of the White House has watched. Well, is that right? Yeah, he's he known for a fact that he's watched. He probably watched a lot of things, but who knows? But yes, correct. He, and he is said to did he like it? Feel a bit of an affinity with Winston Churchill. Oh my! Being the great God. orator that he is. <laughs> That's the worst thing I've heard all day. <laughs> you haven't, really, yeah. So anyway, he's seen it. Who knows? But uh, yeah, make of that what you will. It's very good. He won Best Actor at yep. the Golden Globes. It's probably his to lose. I do think. Daniel Day-Lewis is pretty amazing in The Phantom Thread, but I haven't seen everything yet. So I guess that wraps it up now of what's in the current crop of releases that we've seen. More to come, obviously. I mean, Lady Bird's getting a lot of attention. That hasn't had any screenings yet. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. It's going to be a big month. Yeah, and, of course, all the foreign language films. So we've got another month of this. Yeah. (laughs) Oscar season. So settle in. We'll be making very precise predictions, which we're usually, we've got a 95% accuracy rate. I think you'll find. Uh, Don't fact check that. 
So now we come to the part of the show that is called What Have You Been Watching? What have you got? What have you been watching? Well, I'm recently returned from a break. So I did a bit of watching over the holidays, over the Christmas New Year period of mm-hmm. some older films, sort of some... Christmas movies? No. You didn't watch any Christmas movies? No, no. Oh, I did. What did you watch? A Christmas Story. It's my favourite Christmas movie probably. And uh, Home Alone. Okay. Both That's on a lot, so yeah. it doesn't need to be watched around Christmas. Well, they both uh, hold up remarkably well, I found. Seven-year-old's super into Home Alone. Good to hear. So I watched The Razor's Edge from... The Bill Murray movie. The Bill Murray movie, yes, yeah. from 1984. I think he made it prior to Ghostbusters. The deal was he would do Ghostbusters as long as he got to make this film, which yeah. is itself a remake of an earlier film with Tyrone Power, but it's kind of his Gatsby. And it's a strange film, but it's not terrible, but it did zero business. And basically to get him on board with Ghostbusters, he had Paramount invest in this and all the money they made from Ghostbusters they put into this and lost it all. But it's kind of a sweeping Roaring Twenties story. Uh, it sort of starts World War One into the 20s, rise and fall, fortunes, won and lost. It takes place in the 20s? Yes. Oh. Yes, yes. Well, World War One. it breaks out. He's a soldier as an ambulance driver and witnesses some horrors on the battlefield, comes back and his sweetheart wants to marry him, but he's a changed man. So he wants to go to Paris and find himself for a while. And um, Shades of the deer hunter. If you like. Coming home. If you like, in that there is war and there is romance. Just yeah, I wouldn't relate. actually I put it in the it. same bucket as the I've deer hunter. It, so you, no one has. <laughs> Very few people have. I hadn't until I watched it recently. This did not do well at all when it came out and he quit acting for four years and much like his character in this film went and lived abroad. What did he do after it? Um, Ghostbusters 2? <laughs> Caddyshack or something? Little Shop of Horrors. Oh. What was he in little? Oh, the dentist a, patient. Uh, yeah, patient. Yeah. Oh, it's very funny. Mm. Then Buster Poindexter, hot, 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 video short. <laughs> yeah. And it just pre-scrooged. So he clearly oh, yeah, realised comedy is the way to go. So, But, I mean, it's interesting. It's an odd role for him given he's Mr. Comedy, you know, Caddyshack, Meatballs, Ghostbusters, being a serious actor. But it's not a long bow to pull to see a connection to his Lost in Translation or Broken Flowers, like roles he has later come back to. But it just didn't work. Audiences weren't ready to see it. Who directed it? John Byram. Okay. See anybody? He never made anything again. Interesting. Yeah. Because some of his best. He wrote duets. Oh, the Gwyneth Paltrow movie. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, what a. Well, I mean, for him, it's not a mistake to go dramatic. He's, a, he's done lots of great stuff mm. in dramas. Yeah. With timing, I, yeah, it was a misfire. But it, you're watching it. It's not a terrible movie at all. Like, I very much enjoyed it. And Teresa Russell, who sort of got trapped in kind of dodgy 80s, sexy woman, sort of femme fatale movies, was, yeah, fantastic in this and probably should have been acknowledged, but I guess no one really saw the film. So, yeah, that was a strange one I got to over summer. What about you? I also watched a bunch of stuff, the Christmas movies, as mentioned, but uh, also some um, just some terrible some terrible stuff that I've been meaning mm. to watch, like Baywatch, which is really bad. Mm. Yeah, it's painful. And King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Oh, my God. Guy Ritchie's latest masterpiece. Friend of the show, Eric Banner. That's right. He's wonderful. <laughs> I was pretty bewildered the whole time. I didn't understand why they all had Cockney accents. I haven't looked it up, but it, I'm pretty sure King Arthur didn't talk like, <laughs> like this, bruv. I'm sure he didn't do that. That's right. That doesn't seem likely, does it? Not like that. <laughs> 
yeah, super shallow, super hollow. Mm. You know, they wanted to jazz it up, so there's lots of special effects. And I ended up wishing it had gone back to um, make it more of a like a court drama or mm-hmm. something rather than the big action thing. Jude Law hams it up really nicely, but um, he's much better in The Young Pope. And um, yeah, I mean, it just wasn't that fun. Mm. And I see that he's doing Aladdin. What do we know about that? Anything? Who's doing Aladdin? Guy Ritchie. What? Yeah, that's what I thought. And Sherlock Holmes 3. Well. So, yeah, not... not. Um, so you didn't have such a great holiday viewing. Oh, but something I really did like was Logan Lucky. Oh, okay. I thought it was really nice. Steven Soderbergh's heist movie. It's a very typical heist movie. Channing Tatum, friend of the network, Riley Keough. Ah. Is that how you pronounce your name? Yeah. So these down and out, I think it's meant to take place in Alabama or Arkansas, but it's filmed in Georgia. How about that for useful information? (laughs) Um, But they rob a racetrack. And it's very, in a lot of ways, by the numbers uh, as a heist movie. But there's a reason why heist movies work and the characters are really likable. And um, I mean, nobody can look at a movie now without thinking about Trump and uh, Mm. certain parts of America where that voted for Trump and everything. I just found it kind of nice. I just liked it. It's entertaining. Well, that's it for the show. Make sure you get on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, Apple or otherwise, and give us a rating, a really high rating, preferably. (laughs) And uh, subscribe, of course. If you have any questions, email us at uh, film at sbs.com.au or follow us on um, Twitter, Facebook at uh, SBS Movies. And, um, yeah, stop in, stop by, say hello, don't be a stranger. Fiona, you're on Twitter. Where are you on Twitter at? I'm on Twitter at anything but I'm at Embassy. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much. See you next time. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye. See you. Bye now.